please listen as we hear Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk and he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, is it? Does Jonah have the right to be angry? Would you have been angry? It's hard to say, isn't it? Whatever it was that happened that caused Jonah to be so angry, it was 2,700 years ago. We aren't as inflamed these days as he might have been back then. You and I, if we ever knew what it was that made him angry, have long forgotten why he despised the Ninevites and Assyrians so much. Those who first heard Jonah's story, the story we've read, the longer version, they had not forgotten. Nineveh had a reputation. Centuries after the events that happened between the Assyrian Empire and the people of Israel, Nineveh still had a reputation. It was not a good reputation. To give you an idea of how the Hebrew people felt about the Ninevites, listen to how the prophet Nahum taunted them when he was sure that they were about to suffer. Ah, city of bloodshed. Utterly deceitful. Full of booty. No end to the plunder. There is no assaging your hurt. Your wound is mortal. All who hear the news about 
you clap their hands over you, for who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? Nineveh did not have a good reputation. Israel suffered so much at the hands of the Assyrian Empire that Nineveh became a symbol for evil. Maybe this will help make the point. One commentator said that for God to send Jonah to go and to to seek the redemption of Nineveh would be like for God to send Holocaust survivors to Germany in the early years after World War II. There was real bitterness. This was not a can't we all just get along kind of moment. Even God was willing to label the Ninevites, telling Jonah, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And just to be clear, that great city is great as in very big, not great as in better than good. And That wickedness means evil, as in against God. God knew these people were behaving badly. And yet, they still mattered to God. Fresh out of divinity school, I've been in Florence about three months when 9-11 happened. The world was immediately in grief, and then not long after that, angry, and the drumbeat for war was pretty loud by November. That didn't surprise me, but what did surprise me and and also sadden me greatly was the person in the Bible study who said to me, I hope we put a lake where Afghanistan used to be. I was shocked, saddened. And reminded that it is far too easy for us to blame an entire group of people for the actions of a few. Far too easy for us to wish ill on a whole nation of people we've never met, assuming that they are all like whichever one we think we know. Far too easy to demonize them and destroy them as though their lives are as inconsequential as the lives of characters in a video game. One of the reasons we need Jonah's story is the reminder that while wholesale condemnation and deep-seated anger are nothing new, they are not God's way. Now, I guess when you read Jonah to your kids at night, you don't get that heavy with all of that meaning that you attach to it. But I am surprised at some of the things we tell our children at night just before we put them to bed. Rockabye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come cradle baby and all. Night, night, sweet one. (laughs) And that's after we've read to them about God flooding the entire earth or God having a man swallowed up by a great big fish. If you find that your children are, are wide awake in the middle of the night, you might revisit your bedtime routine. Of course, we don't read these stories to our children to scare them. We don't put the 
pictures on the walls to tell them how frightening things can be. We tell these stories because of their endings, because of the signs of grace, a rainbow that reminds us God promised to never flood the whole world again. A a giant fish that saved a man so that he could go and, and be part of God saving an entire nation. We tell these stories because they demonstrate to us that God is gracious, but the lesson is supposed to be that God's graciousness isn't just for us. That's the part we struggle with. That's the part Jonah struggled with. The reason he went in the exact opposite direction of the way that God told him to go was that he was not willing to risk contributing anything to what might lead to the redemption of the people of Nineveh. I learned this week that Jonah's name means dove. That's the kind of thing that excites preachers. We'll call each other up. Did you know that Jonah means dove? I'm sure y'all are going to do that this afternoon. We start looking for connections. The the most obvious connection, of course, is back to that, that Noah story, the flood story. In that story, the dove is released and flies around and, and returns. The second time released, comes back with a with a piece of, of tree, a reminder that the, the water is receding, eventually doesn't come back. This olive branch, this indication that they will soon be able to leave the ark and begin life anew. And then there's Dove Jonah who wants just the opposite. No new life for the Ninevites. No hope for restoration. And here's another connection. It turns out the people of Israel were at least three times discussed as doves. One time in Psalm, two times in Hosea, they are called doves. And you start to to wonder, which dove are they? Is Israel the dove that represents hope for restoration and the beginning anew? Or are they the dove that represents not wanting restoration For others? Is it both? Aren't we both? There's a reason Jesus had to command us to love our enemies and pray for those who hurt us. It doesn't come naturally. And honestly, any real attempt to love people and to do good requires us to go to them, to get to know them. How many times have you heard people say biased things about a group of people only to care deeply for someone who would be part of that group? They are all whatever. I just love Miss Betty. You better not talk about Miss Betty. Jonah must have known that going to people is the way of of being loving to them since he set off in the opposite direction from where these people were that God told him to go see, away from those who were supposed to help. And I'm sure that God knew that to love people you need to go to them too since he sent Jonah to the people and one day sent his own son to the people. I think about God saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh which would be east, and Jonah going west. 
mumbling under his breath how awful those people are as he boarded his first boat in the opposite direction. I think about God snickering at this whole scene, calling Gabriel over. Would you look at this? Jonah thinks he can get away. He must have forgotten who made the sea and Leviathan to play in it. Wait. I've got an idea. And the weather started getting rough. Y'all don't know the story. The tiny ship was tossed. I'm sure God snickered. I'm just as sure God frowned. God frowned because Jonah thought he could be a dove who wasn't about redemption. And God frowned because Jonah wanted to withhold the gift of redemption. How it must have broken God's heart to have someone who who worshipped Him, who praised God for saving His life, and who vowed to sacrifice for God, and that that same person would be so angry at the idea that his enemy would receive grace that he prayed for God to take his own life rather than having to watch that happen. What is it, what is it about us that we recognize our dependence on God being gracious and merciful to us? Slow to be angry at us abounding in steadfast love toward us, ready to relent from punishing us and then not want that same thing, those same things for others. We sing, you are a good, good father. And I am loved by you. And want to make that you singular. It must be that we think we are somehow more deserving. And yet it was the Ninevites and their king and even their cows who put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. God's nature is to be merciful. Jonah knew that and that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want God's nature to prevail. And when God did show mercy, Jonah fumed, and that's when God had another idea. It's time for an object lesson, God thought. God found Jonah, pouty like a child, sitting outside the city in the heat, praying to die. And God grew a bush up around him. The grace he needed, shade, comfort, Jonah was very happy about the bush, we're told. The next day, that same bush shriveled up. The sun bore down on Jonah. A hot wind blew up and Jonah was back to praying to die. And God said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in one night and perished in another. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And that's the end of the story. A rhetorical question that judges all of us and gives us hope.
The word pity could well be translated cry over. As in, you cry over a bush that you knew for less than 24 hours. And I cry over my children, 120,000 strong, and all those other animals that I have known since their beginning. And the one adamant that he would not spread the word of hope for restoration was shown that God cries for anyone who is lost, seeks to save all who are lost, is gracious to everyone despite how they treat Him, and works to change those who are angered by grace. May God's work prove successful.